Hello, and welcome to the Max Moo Theater and Performance Podcast. This is the mid-October review episode, and this might sound like a sort of familiar voice or a completely new voice. I'm Patty Devery, and I just joined the Max Moo team last month for the mid-September review episode, and Lindsay loves me so much that she just let me take over, so it's mine now. We're very happy you're here. (laughs) (laughs) And with me, of course, I have Lindsay. Hello, this is Lindsay. I usually edit the podcast, but this episode, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) And Liz. Hi, I'm Liz. Liz is great and is on a million podcasts all the time. That is the truth. And also known as Fuck Yeah Great Place. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's what I do. I do Fuck Yeah Great Place. Yeah. Um, So we saw three shows this week, and we're going to talk about them all. And the first show that we saw that we're going to talk about is Curvy Widow. And I uh, feel like I made you guys see this because I (laughs) wanted to see it. And I also thought it was a good show for me to sort of bring to the Maximu audience because this is the kind of nonsense show that I love to see. So Curvy Widow is a musical comedy. And it's about, it's based on the real life of Bobby Goldman, who is the book writer. She lost her husband, and then the musical goes through her sort of adventures in modern dating as a, um, I don't think they had a preferred term, but like middle-aged woman. She yeah. was, I think so they said she was 55 yeah. in the show. Um, and that's, it's pretty basic it's a pretty basic premise um whether it was good or not no but I was entertained for almost all of it um what did you think Lindsay this show is very interesting I'll start by saying it probably wasn't for me but uh not all theater has to be I thought that it I thought there were some fantastic individual numbers. Mm. Um, Basically, this show goes through her trials and tribulations, online dating, which if you are a modern woman, be you in your, you know, 20s or your 50s or your 60s, you know, is basically a hellscape. And it is (laughs) no different than when you are a widow and returning to the dating scene after decades of being absent from it. And so I thought that she did a really great job of painting a very colorful picture of what that is like to do in your mid-50s. And then there were just some really, really funny musical numbers. She experiences some sexual dysfunction herself, and she has to visit a lot of different gynecologists to find out a solution. And I, I in particular, thought that song was very, very funny. I think, you know, this was supposed to be some kind of uh, extended run, right? What is the deal with the show? Like, that's actually what I didn't know. It was an open-ended run, um, which has since announced closing. Yeah. Uh, It's in a, like, a 99-seat theater or something. It's the West Side Theater upstairs. Um, It's where stuff is. It's where it's five women wearing the same dress. Yeah, the that disenchanted play or musical was there. This is just a pretty typical off Broadway for profit. Like we're gonna try and make this. um, I love you. You're perfect. Now change or something like that in a small theater that's going to find an audience. And I think it was a little more ambitious. I mean, one of my issues with it is is unless you're 
a writer, it's really hard to write your own story. And I don't know that Miss um, Goldman w- is that kind of writer or had maybe a, maybe a collaboration would have been better. It was very clearly a vanity project. Um, so, so I think they, some, she has money as, as was discussed in the play and the characters also her friends on the Upper East Side. She is the widow of, um, the book writer of Follies, James Goldman, among other things. And so, you know, there's money there and I think she wanted to tell her story and she had the money to do it. What did you think, Liz? Well, I appreciate it, or I'm glad that this show introduced me to Nancy Opal, who I didn't know, and she's so charming and fun. About halfway through the show, I thought, you know, I could just go see her do a cabaret. I don't need this show. She lightens it in a way that the the text itself does not. Mm. Um, But she brings something really lovely to it. It reminds me of... Red Hat Ladies. Did you guys are you familiar with that? Mm-hmm. Okay. So in any regional theater that I've worked in outside of New York City, mm-hmm. there are these groups of ladies who are all usually mid-50s and up um, ca- that are part of the Red Hat Society. Oh. And it's this book that was really popular, I think, in the 90s, mm-hmm. like early 90s, um, of these old ladies and they're old and they're proud of being old. And (laughs) now that they're old, they're going to do all that stuff that they didn't get to, you know, they feel like they missed out on. And one of the things is like wearing red and I'll wear red and purple together. And so that's what they do. They wear these red hats with big purple ribbons and they form these little clubs and they go out and they do stuff to sort of embrace being out in social instead of a sad old lady at home, which I think is great. Anytime I worked at a regional theater, we would get, I mean, depending on the size of the theater, one to two Red Hat ladies a weekend mm-hmm. groups who would go out to lunch and then come to the matinee and, you know, have a, have a time. And that's what this show feels like. It needs to go to a regional theater and you're going to get big groups of ladies who are like, let's make a night out, go see this kind of body show about getting your groove back as an older widow and how crazy the world is since the last time I was trying to do this. And... So that's that's the market for this. And I don't but I've never seen those kind of groups in New York. And I think that Right. Except that's the entire theater going audience. Right, but it's not but, but the groups that are doing it in New York are too quote unquote refined, yes. I feel like, to go to something like this. I, hmm. I was thinking the same thing. When I see shows like this, I will be like, uh, this is a regional show. Mm-hmm. This isn't necessarily a New York show. I do know I worked at um the TKTS booth for a while uh, on one of those flyering teams. And I do know the people I would send to this show. Yeah. Uh, And I would rather send them to a quote unquote better show or something that I would want them to expand their mind. But I also know if they're going to see a show, this is the kind of show that they want to see and they're going to love it. Do you want to hear Nancy Opal sing dick pics over and over? Yes. This is the show for you. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, I also, uh, just as a community theater piece, I think the way I also like to look at these shows and see, oh, yeah, this could be done. There's a lot. It's a very small cast, but all of the men play a lot of different characters, mm-hmm. and those could be broken down into a lot of different parts. They don't all have to be played by one person. Um, it's a show featuring all people 
of a certain age, which also you don't see very much, which whether it's you always want things like that to be the best they can be. But the fact that they exist at all is great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it was the show for me. I had I definitely laughed a lot. But now that I think about it, I can think of what I laughed at besides her pulling a lamb chop out of her purse and then a half eaten <laughs> banana because oh, boy, do I love joke. a misplaced prop. Oh, that banana joke. Yeah. I mean, you can, half you can the jokes were like I was laughing because it was funny and half the jokes I was laughing because it was so hilariously bad. Yeah. But I'm fine with that. I don't need my entertainment to be art. I just need it to be entertaining. Yeah. Well, if you want to be entertained by Nancy Opal, you have until November 4th. And I, I mean, that's the I was like, Nancy Opal's in a show. I had no idea what this show was about. I don't care. I love Nancy Opal. I'll follow her to the moon. Well, she was delightful. I would definitely go see her in something again. Good. I'll tell her. Yeah. Let her know. I will. <laughs> I, the whole cast was great. Oh, that's yes. true. That's true. I actually, when you were talking about the musical numbers, I loved, they genuinely loved the musical number with the all the men who were seeking arrangements, quote unquote, for the... They were all married men. Oh, yeah, all the yes. married men. Mm-hmm. I thought that was funny. And I, I don't know. I liked mm-hmm. that number. And there were a couple others, but... Yeah, the like friends Greek chorus. It's yes. not a match was a good number yeah, too. Yeah. yeah. Um and I should say the the book and or the music and lyrics is by Drew Brody. Drew Brody, thank you. Sorry, I happened to be on the page. No, that's great. <laughs> uh so it's closing November fifth. It's at the West Side Theater upstairs. There are tickets on Telecharge for ninety nine dollars, which some of these off Broadway musicals, you know, it costs a lot of money even when you see how small the house is. But there are also tickets available on TDF. Um, so check out that if you are able. And I would hazard a guess that it's also at the TKTS booth if you go there for same day tickets. Uh, our next show it, that we went to see was Flux Theater's Am I Dead? Lindsay? Yes, so we went to see Am I Dead? The Untrue Narrative of Anatomical Lewis the Slave by Kevin R. Free, directed by Heather Cohen. This is at the theater at the Y on 14th Street. And this was part of our preview earlier this month. And as I mentioned then, I will repeat myself, um, Kevin Free's earlier an earlier play by him that I saw at the fringe was about a young woman who was white, who was like a do-gooder and trying to address sort of racial injustice in uh, contemporary times. Hmm. And it, it was interesting to me having that background, seeing this play, which is based on the myth of Osiris Now, I was not familiar with that myth, and there is a write-up in the playbill about it if you want to read up on it when you get there. I, however, don't think that is necessary to enjoy the play, so I'm not going to talk about that. If that's homework you want to do, go do it on your own time. So basically, what we find ourselves in is this purgatory, where there are two people initially, and they explain to us that their punishment for the lives they lived previously on this earth is that they are forced to collect the body parts of black men and rebuild the black men who they harmed 
during their time on Earth. One woman is from uh, long ago, uh, and she was uh, she owned slaves. One person is from the 90s, and he is gay, and he had a lover who died of AIDS who he did not care for through that experience. Uh, then other people come into this purgatory, uh, one of whom is a Rachel Dolezal type, who is a white woman who believes she's black. Uh, she has a black boyfriend who she has not been truthful with about her situation. Um, and he is actually still alive, but she's in purgatory and also has to reconstruct him. That's uh Following that plot point was a little confusing, but I don't think it's essential to experiencing the play. And then Isis, the uh, goddess character, joins, and um, she also is there to experience some punishment, even though she is uh, thinks of herself as the goddess, the one who looks out for um, black men and women on this planet. Any disagreement with my summary of the plot so far? I think okay, that was perfect. <laughs> you know, the thing I found to be so interesting about this work, and again, I'm viewing this in light of the earlier play I saw of Kevin's, and I, I, I come to this play as a white person who thinks of myself as very much wanting to be supportive of equality and justice and fairness, especially on issues of race. And when I experience these plays, it really is extremely educational about the ways in which even people who are white who want to be helpful, um, who have good intentions, can be really destructive to um, black people even in 2017, not to mention, uh, you know, back <laughs> before the Civil War, not to mention during in the 1990s. And I will just always go to Kevin's plays because I will never be fully educated on that topic. Mm. And it will always help me better understand the culpability of just having white skin and the privilege and the ways in which institutionalized and systemic racism are so entrenched that no matter how helpful you think you're being or how, you know, quote unquote woke you are, that there is a long pattern of harm of white privilege and that you just have to be so diligent because you are part of a history of privilege that dates back centuries. And we're just not going to fix that, you know, with, we have been, what I mean to say is that we've been trying to fix it for centuries and there's still so much work to do. And I just, when I see Kevin's plays, I just, wow, I really, really, uh, you know, reach a new level of understanding, and I really appreciate that. So this play is pretty dense. It's not always uh, very fast-moving. It's not always heavy, I should say. There's actually quite a bit of levity and quite a bit of humor. Mm. Um, I thought all the performers were fantastic, 
If you have been to Flux shows, you will recognize several cast members. They do a lot of, they have an ensemble that they tend to cast from. Um, and then there is um, one character who plays the black man that all of these individuals have wronged. Not the same character, it's multiple characters, but one man plays them all. And his name is Corey Allen. Uh, to my knowledge, this is my first time seeing him so powerful, such a fantastic performer. He um, dips in and out of different personas in a blink of an eye, and I just thought he was fantastic. So uh, what did you guys think? Yeah, I uh, I was actually going to shout out Corey Allen if you didn't, because I think he did a fantastic job. Um, what I thought was interesting about way you the way you described it and what I got stuck on in a good way uh, about this show is that all these people who are in this purgatory believe themselves to be and are ostensibly helpful mm -hmm. to uh, the cause of black men. And you said, oh, well, uh, Miss, Mrs. John Gray was a slave owner. Yes, but she, in her mind, she was paying for him to go to college. She was trying to advance this this man who was but who was less than her. Um, Isaac, uh, the man who is helping his boyfriend through AIDS or believes he is through religious fervor and and a commitment to do good in the world and even Tatiana the the Rachel Dolezal type believes that she is better able to aid the black community by being this person um, by ingratiating herself so much that she decides to be black and Coming at it from that direction, I think, is very interesting. Gives it a lot of nuance and things that you know, things that I hadn't even thought about. The way that you can believe truly in your heart that you are doing the right thing without taking in how it's actually affecting the rest of the world. Uh, and I found that very powerful. And you know, there is a there is a moment where they pull up the lights. You can see everybody, mm -hmm. and I thought, oh, yeah, this is – normally I hate when that happens. I hate yeah. when people are like, look at yourselves. <laughs> but um, but it was used very powerfully here. I was I did get a little confused towards the end with the um, ISIS set, sort of who ISIS was because she was ISIS, but then she was also other women to other people. Mm -hmm. And I got a little fuzzy in there on what – what that was saying and how that played into this narrative. Um, but the, the way microaggressions can feed into atrocity on a black body is very strong. And I, I, I just really appreciate Kevin for bringing this story out in this way. I think it's very smart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with both of you. Uh, Lindsay, I think you s basically summed up my feelings pretty succinctly. I haven't seen Kevin's work before. I know Kevin. I'm trying to figure out how I know him. He's I, also an I actor. I know he's an actor. Yeah. I, it must have been it must have been something that I've seen him in, but um I followed him on Twitter for quite some time and I'm try I was like trying to remember when what the nexus of that of my awareness of him was and it must have been something I saw him in, but um going back to sort of what you were saying, Liz, about, about what 
that white supremacy and white privilege does to a black body, a black soul, a black person with the character of Sai, uh, Tatiana's living boyfriend who hasn't died yet, she still has broken him down. And I thought that was almost the most powerful of the three because the other two were no longer physically in the world. He's still there, but he's still broken. And, and really from where she is, there's no way that she can fix it, but it still is her punishment to have to try. Um, I can't wait to see more of Kevin's work. I thought this was great. And one of the, one of the things that I love about theater is when, aside from the obvious, um, racial lessons learned here was just, it made me want to learn more about that Osiris myth, about the mythology of that, um, of that story. And as you said, in the Playbell, there's, there's, uh, some great dramaturgy work, um, from Miss Yaya. And, but, you know, it made me want to, to look beyond what was written there. And I think it's also so rare that we see Egyptian gods and goddesses represented by black people from like who look like Africans look like and even just with that obvious casting it it makes its own statement mm-hmm. um, and it shouldn't because that's ridiculous but uh, this I thought this play was amazing and everyone should see it I also want to shout out uh, Will Lowry, who did the set design and oh, the yeah. projection design. Mm. Fantastic. So cool. Mm-hmm. Thought it was very stunning. And so just a reminder that Flux Theater has a living ticket initiative where you can pay what you afford and they include in their playbill their budgets. Mm-hmm. And you will know based on the amount you give, whether you are supporting them at their current budget or whether you're supporting them at their level that allows them to pay their uh, actors and designers a minimum wage or a living wage. And I think that is fabulous. So the tickets are for sale online for as little as one penny, I think. Yeah, I think you have and to... And up to $75. Yes. Yeah. And of course, they you can donate as much as you want beyond that, too. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and you can find more information about that at flucstheater.org. Um, that's theater with an R-E. And the show runs through October 1st, so you don't have much time as of 21st. this. What did I say? October 1st. That's a lie. <laughs> October 21st. Um, yeah, but if you can get there, get there. It's really fantastic. Uh, our last show, Liz, you want to tell us yeah. about it? So our last show that we saw was Animal Wisdom by Heather Christian, which is at the Bushwick Star uh, through November 4th. So Animal Wisdom is a music theater piece with music by Heather Christian, uh, backed up by a fantastic band, mm. which is Eric Faber, Maya Sharp, and Fred Epstein. Um, there should be one more. Oh, is there? Uh, Sasha. Sasha Brown, excuse me. Um, so it's sort of a seance. It's sort of a religious mass. Heather talks to dead people. She gets migraines and she talks to dead people. And it's something that runs through the female line in her family that all these women could see and communicate with ghosts. 
So this is a show that is through her experiences and her music is grappling with death and what comes after leading up to death. And then where do you go after that? Uh, I will preface this saying that Patty and I saw it at the very first preview. So some of the things we discussed may have changed since we saw it. Also interesting because you, you, Lindsay, you saw it a different day. The second You day. saw the second preview? I saw it later, which um, I also saw it with all the people who reviewed it. Ben Brownlee was there. Helen oh, okay. Shaw was oh, okay. there. So it was an official good, good. Okay. press night. Um, but Heather mentioned right before the show started that there had been a death in her family that day. Wow. Um, yes, her her grandmother-in-law. Yeah. I yeah. Believe. She had just had a death. Yeah. In, I think that sounds about right. Uh, which I think definitely colored our show mm-hmm. as well. Um, but I, I found first Heather Christian grew up in the same town in Louisiana that my dad did and my grandparents did. Oh. So I was like, oh, I feel very connected with this world that she's creating. Um, but I love the merging of theater and religion and the occult. This is a great Halloween show, <laughs> I think. This is like the right yeah. kind of spooky existential crisis for us um I, I think heather has a lovely voice she's a very talented songwriter and musician clearly and she has all these stories about ghosts both literal and figurative mm. and the way that colors her outlook on life and to me that's what it was about it was about finding that community of the living and the dead and how do you bring those together and I think you bring it you bring figures to life on stage you bring figures to life in a church you, you know there there are lots of ways that those can get tilled up and I, I just I really enjoyed it I thought it was a really beautiful haunting piece worth chucking out to Bushwick to see mm. how about y'all I also really liked it Heather is just a really big character in that kind of southern eccentric Mm. um i think i don't know if you mentioned the name of the town liz but it's natchez mississippi yeah um and she a lot of the lore and the mysticism comes from that sort of very southern mystical spiritual you know uh, like kind of a voodoo infused line of I don't, I don't, belief system qua religion I don't know <laughs> yeah. it's not something yeah. I'm super familiar with outside of representations of it in popular culture but I thought she did an amazing job of really bringing the eerie spookiness into the room it was very much a southern gothic novel yeah. type story mm-hmm. yeah I, I was thinking of Shreveport Louisiana which she also talks about living mm. living in Louisiana with mm-hmm. them and yeah, so Natchez and so I found I was I I was really swept up in it, you know, and I just I, I just thought it was fascinating. I thought her kind of the rules and the doctrine of her spirituality, which she shares with you, I thought was really fascinating. And I just I was really enjoyed m- most of the show that I just have one tiny critique, which is that. In the final song, she 
does something that incorporates certain uh, members of the audience into the experience in a way that hadn't happened previously. Um, and I don't know. There was just something about that breaking of the fourth wall, the increased level of um, it just became very saccharine. And I just I, I just really, I don't know, it really kind of turned me off. Hmm. Um, and I just felt like it was like, you know, you have this whole show that's really emoting heavy on themes of death and loss, but it felt very much like I was observing it in her. And then it felt like kind of cheating for her to say, and I'm sure all of you have lost people too, and here's your opportunity to emote. And I just, I don't know, it just rubbed me the wrong way. And this is again, just like the final two minutes of the show. And maybe it was, maybe I'm a, totally alone in this, but I don't know, it just felt kind of like a cheap, easy push on the pain point of your audience members who are already projecting so much onto the show. You could just, you're sitting in the round and you can just see people kind of really putting their own pain into the show. But up to that point, it's never been explicit. And you can hear like, at least when I was there, like there were definitely people kind of sniffling behind me because, you know, I mean, everyone's lost somebody. And so, but I kind of liked that distance between the performers and the audience. And then it all came kind of like crushing together in the final song. And it just, it just rubbed me the wrong way. Wait, can mm -hmm. I ask a question that might be kind of spoilery? Let's do you first. Okay. okay. Um, I get what you're saying about that. I don't necessarily agree, but I'm I understand. The only one. I'm just, I, I think, I think I'm confused what part you're talking about. With okay. the bells, right? I'm talking about the bells. There we yeah. go. That's what I meant. Okay. With this, I think there were three beats of sort of that audience participation. The beginning, we stood up and, mm -hmm. and did something. And then there was the Coke toast. Oh, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then there was the bells. So I guess it was a beat of three escalation, but I don't know if it was earned. The, it didn't bother me, the, but I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Um, I loved it. I loved the musicality of it. I loved the styles that were, they were all over the place, but like completely natural to that band and to her voice, which is sick. Yeah. <laughs> this was my first introduction to Heather Christian. Um, she introduced it as a Requiem Mass and as a Catholic, well, raised Catholic. God, I still find myself saying that. It makes me so angry. Um, as an atheist raised Catholic uh, and someone who studied music, I wish I saw the beats of the mass more throughout. And mm. maybe they're there. I found myself wishing I knew the music ahead of time because her music is more um, metaphoric. Uh, it's, not, it's not musical theater where you're telling the story through the song. The song is sort of... Uh, a part of the story in a way that's bigger than plot. So I don't know how that those songs always fit in. Sometimes she would explain it, I was, which I was like helpful. It, I feel like it was more like you'd get the song and then the song would be expanded into a right. story like, instead of their reverse. I think the song that she did with her two childhood ghosts was probably the most musical theater moment in the show. And that's not, it. it's not supposed to be a musical theater mm -hmm. like play. Right. And I understand that. But so this was one that I wish that I knew the music ahead of time. Hmm. So I think I would have connected with it more if I understood what she was saying as she was saying it. 
like literally sometimes I couldn't understand the words and also figuratively if I had been able to sort of mine the themes of the lyrics beforehand to immerse myself in the show itself but that being all that being said that was just an extra thing that I would have enjoyed it just a little bit more but yes it was fantastic and I hope that she's planning an album of this music yeah. or that it already exists I don't know I should have looked it up but it's it's incredible and something that I would listen to again and again and again yeah, it's funny you brought, so the bell thing, I forgot that that happened until mm. you just brought it up. Mm. I was associating the end with the blackout, with the blackout mm. which I loved. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just kept thinking of that as the ending, but it wasn't. You're right. We had this last little Right, section. so there were like the twinkle lights. With the, yeah, the way it got dark, and then suddenly somehow it got even darker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it sort of rose up with the, with the singers, and it was just. It was delightful. Yeah, so my um, one small critique notwithstanding, I really, really like this show. And this is the kind of show where I think, like, this is why I live in New York City. You have this incredible personality with this fantastic band in this tiny second floor theater in the middle of the Bushwick putting on an incredible show. And it's just wonderful. You know, I just, I love that about the city I love these artists who come together and put together these amazing shows and if if you live in New York because you love the arts or if you have tourists coming to town and they want to see something that's cool not Broadway but cool a performance that's interesting and provocative like I highly highly recommend this show yeah it was a very magical inspiring Mm. piece not necessarily i mean with the subject matter but just exactly remembering why what's so great about theater in new york and theater beyond broadway Mm -hmm. and all that is that people have the space to develop and create something as unique and special as this yeah from natchez mississippi you know um and i found myself wondering like what would my parents think of this because Mm -hmm. Because of uh, that sort of Southern Gothic, like mystic Catholicism is not something that we Midwestern Catholics ascribe to. (laughs) But I think that it would be a cool show that they would even be like, that was weird, but cool. And um, they would appreciate that sort of religious aspect of it while not being like, I don't know about ghosts, you know, but that St. Bridget statue in our China cabinet moved sometimes. So <laughs> there, that, you know, it exists everywhere. Um, I, ju- I hope there's a life for, th- I know she is an artist that is working all the time. So this is obviously a very personal project for her, but maybe it's going to be on to the next thing for her. But I hope there's more life in this because I thought it was just fantastic. It reminded me a lot of, if you ever get a chance to see uh, Gio Wyeth, mm-hmm. uh, who's a performer, and he has a show called Ghosts that was at Ars Nova a while back that was about um, his family talking to dead people that is also hmm. in- includes a lot of more electronic music. I would recommend it, too, if this is something that's up your alley. I would also yeah. look out for his his work. You know, also, I 1,000% do not believe in ghosts, but, like, that didn't matter, you know? It, I believed that she believed it, and she sold me on her 
life and the things that have happened to her being real. And I think that is a feat because I'm a big skeptic <laughs> as far as things that like that are considered that I could sit there and be like, ugh, I'm going to listen to somebody talking about talking to dead people. <laughs> but, you know, I was there, was there for the ride and I... I know that it's autobiographical and I was on board for it. Same, super skeptic. And I left thinking, maybe I should start believing in ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. great. Yeah. Well, that is at the Bushwick Star, as Liz said, through November 4th. Tickets are $20. There are a limited amount of $15 tickets with the code ARTIST for some performances on October 19th, 24th, and November 1st. And you can go to bushwickstar.org for tickets. So those are the shows that we saw this week or this month. Anyone have anything coming up? I do not because I'm actually going to Alabama to volunteer on the Senate special election down there. Oh, I'm seeing Torch Song at Second Stage on November 3rd. I'm very excited about I'm it. I'm hearing good things. I've heard Sounds excellent great. things. I can't wait. I am. I mentioned this on the last episode i'm taking my nephew to his first broadway show uh, this coming sunday we haven't done that yet so i'm excited about that and something that's i don't know when i'll be next on here but in i have tickets for something in january one of my most favorite things if it only even runs a minute which is a cabaret series at 54 below that jennifer ashley tepper and kevin michael murphy do that features songs and stories from underappreciated musicals mm. told by, if they can, people who were in them. Um, underappreciated meaning most are the F word, a flop. But some mm. are were successes and just nobody's heard of or thought of them for 40 or 50 years. And it's one of my favorite things. If you love musical theater, it's even if you don't, if you like history, because some of them are so absurd that that you're like, how did anyone put any kind of money into this? Um, and yet there it was on Broadway, and it opened and closed in the same night. And it's, oh, wow. It's nuts. <laughs> it's great. Um, I've got The Home Place over at Irish Rep mm. and my lingerie play at Rattlestick. I'm going to uh, be front row. I, oh, wow. <laughs> I am going as a guest artist. They invited anyone who had participated in the past to come back and mm. get covered in glitter and sit in the front row. And so that's what I'm going to go do. That has gotten... Right raves yeah i'm pretty excited about it and what else um oh <laughs> we were talking about the other day i'm gonna go see pop punk high oh that's right i was gonna maybe Lounge, buy tickets to which that. is a new pop punk musical i i don't know i just it appealed to me I, yeah I, I my little pop punk heart is very excited about it and i feel like if you're gonna do a you know 100 minute full-length <laughs> pop-punk musical, you might as well put it at the Parkside Lounge. Sure. And I think that might be it for me. All right. Well, thanks for uh, seeing shows with me, ladies. Thanks for having <laughs> me. This is weird. Thank you so much for joining us for today's episode of the Maximum Theater and Performance Podcast. If you have questions, comments, or opinions that differ from our own, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us all on Twitter. Maximu is at Maximu. Lindsay is at Lindsay Barons. Liz is at Miss Liz Richards. And I'm at Patty with a Y. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we have merch. 
You can buy coffee mugs, tote bags, and stickers with your favorite Maximuisms on them. You can get to the store via Maximu.com. All proceeds go to helping the podcast improve our sound quality. See you again soon. Theatrical Media.